Welcome to Reframe and Reset Your Career, a career development podcast to help if you're looking for a job, feeling stuck in your career, looking to change your perspective, or just rediscover your why. I'm your host, Harsha Borolesa, and this podcast came about from my passion for neuroscience and psychology and their interaction with career and personal development. In each episode, I will be interviewing recognized experts and successful professionals and asking them about their career journey, their real life experiences, and to share the insights and strategies that have helped their careers thrive. Implementing change is not easy and does take time, but I do hope that their stories will inspire you to take a fresh look at your career and assist you on your path to a more successful and fulfilling career. Here are some highlights of today's episode. Other people's perceptions of who you are and what you can achieve does not need to be your perceptions. I study extreme high achievers. When someone tells them no, for them, that's just background noise. They convert the no into not yet. When you take two seemingly unrelated things and combine them in a new way, that's innovation. What is the plan, right? Because a goal without a plan is just a dream. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Reframe and Reset Your Career podcast. I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Ruth Gautian. Welcome, Ruth. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here as we, we uh, talk across the pond. Ruth is the Chief Learning Officer and Assistant Professor of Education in Anesthesiology and former Assistant Dean of Mentoring and Executive Director of the Mentoring Academy at Weill Cornell Medicine. She has been hailed by the journal Nature and Columbia University as an expert in mentoring and leadership development and is currently a contributor to Forbes and Psychology Today, where she writes about optimizing success. She also has a weekly show and podcast by the same name, where she gathers high achievers to talk about their journey to success. In 2021, she was one of 30 people worldwide to be named to the Thinkers 50 radar list dubbed the Oscars of Management Thinking, and is a semi-finalist for the Forbes 50 over 50 list. During her extensive career, she has personally coached and mentored thousands of people, ranging from undergraduates to faculty members. As Assistant Dean for Mentoring, she oversaw the success of nearly 1,800 faculty members at Weill Cornell Medicine. Currently, she researches the most successful people of our generation, including Nobel laureates, astronauts, CEOs, and Olympic champions in order to learn about their habits and practices so that we may optimize our own success. Ruth received her BS and MS in business management from the University at Stony Brook in New York and certificates in executive leadership and managing for execution from Cornell University. She earned her doctorate at Teachers College, Columbia University, where she studied adult learning and leadership and focused her research on optimizing success. She is the author of The Success Factor, which will be published in January 2022. What an impressive CV, Ruth, and welcome to the show. Thank you. There's a lot of sweat and tears to get those things. (laughs) They don't just hand them to you. (laughs) I I think that's the good thing about looking over your CV. I mean, not in a megalomaniacal way, but actually when you do look back and you have some achievements, then you can say, well, I did work hard to get those. And sometimes it helps to sort of boost your confidence to look back. 
Absolutely. And, and one of the things, it's funny that you mentioned this because it took me years, years after I got my doctorate to actually even get it framed. And then a few more years before it actually appeared on the wall. But one of the things that I did frame early on was an article on networking for introverts, which I published in Nature. And the reason that's framed and over and, and, and on the wall so I can see it all the time is because when I first pitched the article, it was rejected. Oh dear. I was turned down and it stung. For some reason, this one in particular really stung because I thought I was onto something. And then another editor out of the blue said, I think I'd like to publish it. And it got published. And for a while, it was one of the top cited or, or topped reference on social media articles um, in that journal, which is an enormous journal in the scientific field. So I framed two copies, one at home and one at work. So every time I get a rejection or I'm turned down or something doesn't go my way, I just look up at that article and say, there's a silver lining there somewhere. I just have to find it. <laughs> so that reminds me of that. <laughs> Ruth, by the way, you're, you're not a Scorpio, are you like Dory and myself? No, <laughs> Sagittarius. <laughs> I, I see that whole revenge thing sort of creeping in there. <laughs> oh, it's um, the best revenge is being successful, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Excellent. Um, by the way, would you like to share a quote with our listeners? Um, I usually like to start the show off like that. My favorite quote, they said to her, you cannot handle the storm. She said to them, I am the storm. Wow, that's scary. That is my favorite quote of all time. I know. It's scary, but it's also, it talks about framing, right? And other people's perceptions of who you are and what you can achieve does not need to be your perceptions. You can be the change maker. You could be the one who achieves and you can't let other people decide that for you. And I think that really ties in nicely with the um, the nature of the show, because this show has been inspired by neuroscience and psychology. And obviously with the title, it's about reframing and changing what is possible. Um, so mm-hmm. I think that's you know perfectly um, yeah, apt uh, way to kick off the show. If we sort of take it back to the, the beginning, um, I've, I've been doing sort of some deep research into you, Ruth, obviously <laughs> not too intrusive, but- <laughs> Not <obviously>. stalking. <laughs> Um, And I saw that you were the only girl in your family for four generations and you loved playing soccer. And I believe you were a goalkeeper. Is that right? I was. Yes. So I I laugh that the only women in the family had to marry in. I was the only in one line. I was the only natural born woman who was born into the family. So I was, I've always been surrounded by men, which is interesting. And yes, I, when I was in elementary school, the athletics were broken down by gender. So at one point, the girls did gymnastics and the boys did other team related sports. And I was not coordinated enough for gymnastics. And then during recess, the girls played soccer. The, the girls played, um, they exchanged stickers. They had albums with stickers. And this was a, a high commodity because if you had those googly eyes, that was a high commodity sticker. And I was not so interested in this high commodity exchange of of stickers. I wanted to play soccer. And my fifth grade teacher said to me, oh, but girls don't play soccer. And I said, well, I want to play. And where does it say that girls don't play? So I went to the library that Friday after school 
And I took out every single book that had pictures of girls playing soccer. Monday morning, I go back to school and I put this, I don't know, two foot high pile of books on my teacher's desk. And I said, you said to me that girls don't play soccer, but here are all these books that show that girls do play soccer. So when can I start? And there was really no reason that he could turn me down anymore because his logic was flawed. It was based on the way he grew up. And I just showed him that girls can play soccer. So he had to let me in. I think they didn't know what to do with me. So they just put me in goalie, maybe thinking other people would stop the ball. I don't know, but I did it and I loved it until I sopped a ball with my stomach and couldn't breathe for a little bit and said, maybe that's not the position for me anymore. And I moved to left fullback, but I have loved soccer ever since. And I played um, all throughout uh, middle school, junior high school and high school. And I loved it. Cool. That, that, that's a great story. And, and I like the way you sort of reframe the situation, because I think, especially with careers, and I'm sure, you know, our listeners are out there, you know, potentially they, they have been in or they are in difficult situations. And sometimes you think you have no options, but actually you have far more options than you realize. Um, and Absolutely. it really is about reframing things. So I think that's a great story that you are reframing the situation, you know, right from the beginning, right from the early days. So good, good for Absolutely. you. Absolutely. I didn't even know better. And, you know, I study extreme high achievers, the, the Nobel laureates, the Olympic champions, the astronauts. When someone tells them no, for them, that's just background noise. They convert the no into not yet into, I haven't yet convinced you why I should be able to do this, why you should let me do this, how I can do this. You know, I've learned from these people who I study. So when I hear no, I just reframe it in my mind to hear not yet. And I just haven't found a way to convince them that I should do it. And I see you're channeling Dr. Carol Dweck there. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Love Carol Dweck and mindsets. Love it. Very good. It doesn't just work in kids. It works on adults as well. And I think at whatever age, mindset is incredibly powerful. Just that whole idea of thinking, okay, I may have failed or I may not have achieved it now, but it's not yet rather than it's a final um, situation. So good on Carol Dweck. It's so true the Olympic champions and the astronauts and all of these people who I interviewed, I always tell them when I speak to them, I said, I'm not interested in what I can Google about you. There's plenty written about that. I'm interested in what it took to get there. And trust me, that road was filled with potholes and hurdles and craters and one challenge after another. And they just viewed them as, I just didn't find the answer yet. I didn't find a way to do this flawlessly. I didn't find a way how to get over this hurdle, but I will. They never questioned if they would overcome a challenge. They focused all of their attention on how to overcome those challenges. And when you shift that mindset from if to how, you already tell yourself that you're able to do this. You just have not figured out the right answer. You may have found different ways of not doing it correctly or efficiently or effectively. You just haven't yet found the right answer, but keep searching and you will. That's how yeah. all scientific breakthroughs come, right? Yeah, no, I think that, that that's a great point. Um, but just going back to your um, sort of professional career, I think you started in finance and you did quite well, but you decided to move on. 
one of my master's degrees in business and like all good business students, I said, I have to try out finance and international banking. And I did, and I did it for two years and it was fine. I didn't love it. I wasn't passionate about it. There's a difference between being good at something and being passionate about something. I just decided that I needed to love what I do. And I went back into higher ed, which is where I was working since I was 18 and um, decided that that's an area that I really loved and was really passionate about. And there were all these areas of that field that I did not take a deep dive into yet. So that's what I did. And I, I wanted to work with the most competitive students that I could find. And I did. I ran the combined MD-PhD program for the students who get the dual MD and PhD degrees and ran that for over 20 years and did everything from recruitment through alumni affairs and everything in between the budgets, the grants, the operations, as I say, cradle to grave. And I loved it. I truly loved it. And that's when I really started being alerted to how successful people do things differently. It was through students who were a generation younger than me. I loved it and haven't looked back. And I think that's really interesting because I think some people, you can do your job and just do the job, but actually you sort of looked at it and, and sort of you took a sort of a wider view and you thought, okay, what are these people doing yes. that makes them exceptional? And I think that's a really interesting thing about uh, life where you can, you know, it separates sort of the good from the, you know, the great, where you actually, you know, you say you're doing yes. this thing, but then looking uh, a bit further out there. But I also you know, love the fact that you're, you've got this strong connection to anesthesia or anesthesiology, I think they call it in the US, because, because my mother was a yes. consultant anesthetist and she has been for many, many years. Oh. Yeah. And she ran an intensive care unit and her protect, particular uh, interest was knees. So I almost feel as if I'm an anesthetist, almost a, a bit of you know, uh, <laughs> college has gone through because you, you know how it is at family dinner tables. My dad's a doctor as well. My cousin's a cardiologist. So it's all about medicine. Oh, boy. Well, it's very obvious that I love surrounding myself with really, really, really smart people who are way smarter than I am. And after working for so long with MD, PhD students, I wanted to take it to the next level to work with people after medical school who are in their residency fellowship and faculty. And the anesthesiology department was really forward thinking in seeing we're really good at the clinical stuff that we do, but now there's a whole science behind how we educate and how we move things forward and how we develop people in order to achieve success and how we publish about this and how to help people become successful. And I think they were very forward thinking and saying, we have this gap that we need to fill. That, that's when I was hired to do that. And I loved it because I got to work with these other people who are so brilliant and so creative and really care and love what they do, which I thought was fantastic. So I get to work with just incredible people. And through my career, I've gotten to do it from first college, then medical school and graduate school, and now residency, fellowship, and faculty. So I really get the full spectrum of helping out these physicians, which is great. And I get to write a lot as well, which I love. So I love your output that yeah, I see on Forbes. But um, I, I was watching a, a recent panel discussion that you did for the Royal College of Anesthetists. And you talked about this idea of PIE, P-I-E. Um, would you like to just expand on that? Because I think that's so powerful. 
Sure. So yes, I'm on the associate editorial board of the British Journal of Anesthesia. And one of the things I tell people, part of your success, everyone thinks I'm going to do a good job, people will recognize it, and I will get promoted or recognized or whatever it is. The problem is that's not how it works. There's been a lot of research on this for over a quarter of a century, and the needle has not moved on this. And I want everyone who's listening to remember the word PIE, P-I-E. This is what your success is based upon. P is performance. I is your image. And E is your exposure. Performance, image, exposure. P-I-E. Now, here is the shocking part. Now, I want you to draw this pie. The amount of your success that's actually based on your performance, the slice of the pie that your performance, how it leads to success, is only 10%. That's it. 10%. Your image is 30% and your exposure is 60%. So 10% is how good are you at what you do? 30% is your image. Are you the responsible one? Are you the organized one? Are you the one who deals well with stress under pressure? That's the 30%. And 60% is exposure. How do people outside of your little nucleus world, how do they actually know about what are some of the things that you were doing, the talks you're giving, the papers you're writing, the interviews you've had, et cetera. People hear your name seven times and start engaging with that. Then you become the expert in the room on that topic. So it's really behooves upon everyone. You have to do the good work and you have to be a good team player. But if the tree falls in the forest and nobody hears it, did it make a sound? You have to work on that surround sound. And there's many different ways that you can do it. You can amplify the work that you're doing on social media. And a lot of people say, oh, but that's not humble. I'm very uncomfortable about it. All of these things. One of my mentors said to me, do something important, not just interesting. And if you do it interesting, it's a hobby. But if you do something that's important, it's to have an impact. But if you want to have an impact, people need to be aware of the progress that you've made so that they can build upon that practice. They can apply the the, the success that you've had. So you have to be able to amplify it. So if you're not interested or comfortable doing it for yourself, develop a small group where you decide you're going to amplify each other's work. They amplify your work, you amplify their work. And the problem is solved. And I think that'll be really, really helpful for a lot of people. But if you, for example, every time I publish an article, I post it on my social media and this way other people get to hear about it, learn about it and apply it. Because the goal of my doing this is not so I can practice my writing skills. It's to have an impact. I can't have an impact if people aren't reading it. That is why it's always posted. I totally agree with you. And I I was shocked when I saw that because I hadn't come across that high uh, research, and especially the 60%. I totally agree with you because uh, one of my favorite phrases is, you know, the meek don't inherit the earth, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. You, Mm -hmm. I think you've got to go and market yourself. Obviously, if you're being just unpleasant and uh, being sharp elbowed, that that doesn't work. And and if you've got nothing to say, but I think if you have value and you post um, as you're doing, you're sharing your knowledge. I think that's perfectly legitimate. Absolutely. And I interviewed a lot of astronauts and they have all confirmed for me that the world is big enough for all of us. It's big enough for all of our successes. And a light on one person does not shine a light away from you. The light is big enough for everybody. So you don't have to think that because one person gets gets the light that decreases 
your name, your impact, your life. It doesn't. The world is big enough for everybody. So if you actually amplify other people's success even more, I think that'll be more helpful to you and to them. No, that, 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 yeah. that's a great, no, great, great, great point yeah. there. Um, and I, I'm also a big NBA fan and I loved your recent Forbes piece about Tim Grover. Oh, yes. He, um, he trained some of, the, some of the greats and he talks about the winning 13, which he has, um, and, and some of the, the lessons that he learned from interviewing some of these greats. So that was, that was last week's Forbes article. And I think when you read my book, The Success Factor, you might, you might see another NBA champion or two. <laughs> whose name you might recognize. <laughs> How's that for a teaser? <laughs> There's some really big recognizable names there. So, and, and I like the point, I think Kobe Bryant was saying that he did like to think about the, you know, the journey. He always, you know, he, he wanted to celebrate only at the end. And I think sometimes, yes. you know, I think you need to sort of enjoy the journey to some extent, but I think looking back is not helpful because otherwise you're sort of resting on your laurels. Um, and I think it's much better exactly. to put everything you have and uh, give it all. Because I think, you know, especially with sportsmen, they have a finite period of time. But even sometimes in our mm-hmm. working lives, there are only sort of certain sweet spots where, you know, you've got your qualifications, you've got your experience. And sometimes they're looking to hire people at a particular, like a sweet spot. Yeah. So, you know, you, you sometimes have those moments. And if you've missed those moments, they just don't come back. That's right. And I use I use Kobe's example when I talk about one of the four elements of success. One of the things that all extreme high achievers do is that they have a strong foundation and they're constantly reinforcing that foundation. So things that they did early in their career, they will still do later on in their career, even after they've achieved all of their accolades and awards and successes. Yes, maybe they do it with fancier equipment and nicer sneakers and whatever it is they still go back to the basics and Kobe and Michael Jordan, they'll say that's what made them number one, because they still go back to doing those things. The same drills that you saw them practice in the NBA courts are the same drills that you would see in any junior high gym in school. Any 12 year old will be doing those same exact drills over and over and over again. And that's what they do at the NBA level. That's what they do at the Olympic level. The scientists are still doing the same thing. Even after the Nobel, there's um, uh, Sir Radcliffe who won the Nobel a few years ago, the same day he got the, the Nobel prize, the same day he was submitting a grant. He didn't say I got the Nobel, the money will just come flying to me. No, he knew he still had to work. He did that as a very young faculty member, and he did it on the day he won the Nobel. You've got to always have that strong foundation, which you're constantly reinforcing. And it's the same practices and techniques from early in your career. They won't steer you wrong, and you never rest on your laurels. And I think the interesting thing there is that actually by doing the work, you actually pick up a lot of things which you necessarily wouldn't have if you don't do the work. Um, I mean, just a very simple thing with, say, you know, podcasting or um, producing YouTube videos. I think when you're actually doing the editing, you can actually see how to sort of get clips or when you're going through the editing process, you can sort of cut things up in a slightly different way. Now, if you didn't do that yourself and you're trying to, even if you can hire somebody by going through that process of the editing on, on both podcasts and YouTube, I think you can have a much better appreciation of what you know, is good and how to frame a question. Absolutely. That's exactly how to do it. 
You have to go back to those same core practices always. And I think that's a nice segue onto uh, your upcoming uh, book, Ruth, which obviously we mentioned is uh, being published in, in January 2022. And you talk about the four pillars of success in that book, which all of these successful um, people share. Would you like to uh, maybe talk about each of those in turn? I'll start with how this all started. I started my my doctoral work studying, I told you I, I worked with MD, PhD students, and I worked with Nobel laureates. And I decided I was going to look at the most successful physician scientists of our generation. And I did that research. And I found these four things that they all did in common. And then I finished the degree. And that was that. And I thought I was done with research. But I couldn't seem to shake the idea of if this is what these physician scientists, these Nobel laureates, these ext- extreme physician scientists, successful ones, if these are the four things they all had in common, I wonder if other extreme high achievers had the same four things. So then I went on this quest to find out. And I started interviewing astronauts and Olympic champions and CEOs and senior government officials. And what do you know? They all had the same four things. And that's when I realized that an astronaut was just like an Olympian. So I reverse engineered their path to success. And I came up with these four things that they all have in common. And these are teachable things because an astronaut is not like an Olympian, but if they both have those same four things, that means the rest of us can all do it. So the first thing is they're all intrinsically motivated. They love what they do. They would do it for free if they could. It's for themselves. It's not for that degree that award that promotion. It's all because they love what this is. So you have to find out, this is the first thing, is you must find out what it is that you love doing, that you're intrinsically motivated to do. And they keep checking in on this over and over again to find out just because you're good at something doesn't mean you love doing it. A lot of the Olympians who I spoke to actually were doing multiple sports, but they shed a lot of them because they weren't passionate about it. They didn't love it. It's not the reason they got out of bed in the morning. So when I coach people, I always take them through a passion audit to figure out what it is that they are so passionate about that they love to do. And if any of the listeners want to do their own passion audit, I actually put a simple, easy one on my website that they can go download, which is ruthgotian.com slash passion audit. And you can start figuring it out for yourself. Because a lot of research has shown that if you just spend 20% of your time doing the things that you love, it'll reduce your level of burnout. So that's key. So find what you're intrinsically motivated to do. That's one. Number two is you have to have this level of perseverance and work ethic. You do not drop your pen at five o'clock because the work the day ended, you need to see this question, this problem through, and you will do no matter what it takes, you will get that job done and you will get it done well. And all of that, I mean, that's why Kobe Bryant was up in the middle of the night shooting hoops. It's not that he needed more hours of practice. He actually looked at what he did wrong and he could, he had to write that wrong. I spoke to Tim Grover about that. He had to write the wrong and fix whatever it is that he got wrong the day before. Michael Jordan, everyone got their stats list after every single game. How many baskets did you make? How many rebounds did you get? How many assists did you make? Michael Jordan had a different, a different stats sheet. He wanted to know all the things he missed. And then he would work on those things. 
perseverance, work ethic, do it over and over and over again. It's not so hard when you love what you do, which goes back to the first pillar. The third one, which we talked about was you have to have a strong foundation, which you're constantly reinforcing. So the things that they um, did early in their career, are the same things that they did later in their career. And this goes, all of these examples are across every single industry. And the last one, now you've all heard that Mark Cuban and Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, they read anywhere from three to eight hours a day. It's not the fact that they read three to eight hours a day that made them billionaires. It's that they were open to new knowledge. So the question is, because you can't copy and paste someone else's habits because you have a different world and a different life than they do, but you can take that idea that they were open to new knowledge and figure out how does that work for you in a way that you love to learn. So maybe you enjoy listening to podcasts such as this one. Maybe you enjoy listening to or watching YouTube videos. Maybe you enjoy reading books. Maybe you enjoy reading articles. Maybe you enjoy talking to people on Clubhouse. There are so many different ways for you to gather information. Now, one of the things to realize is that all of these extreme high achievers surround themselves with people who believe in them more than they believe in themselves. They have a team of mentors. So not just one, they have an entire team of mentors who believe in them and really help them both in their career and to motivate them when they've had a bad day. So there's so many different ways that you can learn those, those things. So those are the four pillars is that they're intrinsically motivated. They have a work at a strong work ethic and strong perseverance, strong foundation, which they're constantly reinforcing and constantly learning through informal means. Hope that's helpful. Those yeah. are the four. No, that, that's great. And, and I think two things I, I, I like from that is one, I think uh, being open to new information, because I think going forward, the really interesting things, especially post pandemic, I think the world is going to become much more uncertain going forward. You have all yeah. these different things coming up. And I think it's the people who can actually, they're flexible and they can look at uh, problems and try and come up with creative solutions. Because actually a lot of the problems that we're going to have going forward, we have no idea what they're going to be. So what you have to do is take your knowledge and be able to be almost creative. And I think the more creative you are going forward, I think that would be um, very powerful. Don't don't you think so? A hundred percent. And look, I I always share the story of, A few years ago, there was no social media. It wasn't that long ago. Now, every organization has a social media manager, a branding strategist. They have degrees in college for it. They have courses on it. This didn't exist a few years ago. It didn't exist. Now there are entire departments and degrees for it. (laughs) So I've always hated the question of what do you want to be in 10 years? I don't know. It probably doesn't even exist yet, but I want to be able to have skills, which I can figure out later how it is that I am going to implement, how I am going to learn from this. The the undersecretary of the Navy, of the U.S. Navy told me, innovation happens when you take two seemingly unrelated things and combine them in a new way. That's innovation. It's not about reinventing the wheel. It's taking things that are already known and putting them together in a new way. If you are able to do that, you're going to be successful. And, and that's a great point, Ruth, because I, have you ever come across this neuroscientist called um, Bo Lotto? 
No. I, I was watching one of his videos on, on YouTube. I, I love my YouTube, but this is only for education. That's how you learn. But yeah. that's how you learn. You exactly. learn by, wa- by watching videos. Yeah, I, I learn by talking to people. <laughs> but he was talking about how if you come up with innovative and creative ideas to, to the person who's doing the creativity, it doesn't seem particularly innovative. Yes. But actually yes. to the person who's not involved, it's yes. completely radical. And, and what he was talking about is that you're putting together these two seemingly unconnected things, but actually yes. that's the next logical thing. And, and say if you look at, say, um, Uber or Airbnb, I mean, you think about it now. Yes. I mean, it's so obvious. Why didn't anybody do it before? You've that's got right. bedrooms, you've got these cars going around. It should have been obvious, but it wasn't. But it wasn't. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting because a few people have told me recently that my superpower is taking things that are super complex and distilling them into a way, into a few categories that people can understand. I didn't know that was my superpower. It's something I've always done and I didn't realize it. So if you've ever seen the movie, The Queen's Gambit, the series, she sees on the ceiling, the next move that the way she was able to see that I'm able to see these four categories. It's like up with neon lights for me. Where for other people, they're not able to see that, but they have some other superpower. I have friends that are able to strategize and know what the next four moves are going to be in whatever strategy it is that they're planning. So everyone has something that they're really strong in and that they are really skilled at naturally. If you really want to optimize your success, you surround yourself with people like that. Because it may not be your strength, but it'll be somebody else's strength. And imagine what you can learn from them. Imagine the questions that you can ask them. That's why you need a team of mentors. And I I think it's not people who are sort of just going to say, you know, well done when things haven't gone well. Obviously, Mm -hmm. they need to um, be quite firm when they have to. But Mm -hmm. also, I think just picking you up when things are not going well. But I I do like this idea of strategy, because I do think that in your career, trying to lay out a path and thinking about the strategy you know not just doing your job but thinking okay I'll do this for a year um you know can I get promoted Uh, am I learning stuff because I think if you're always learning stuff I think that's a good thing because essentially what you're doing is you're trading off your time for additional um capital but intellectual capital absolutely it's all about learning new things and being open to learning new things and look The Nobel laureates will learn from somebody who just finished college, a generation or two younger than them. They have no problem with that. And you need to be open. You meaning everybody listening needs to be open to learning new things from whoever knows it, from whoever knows it better than you. It's situational leadership. Give the spotlight to the person who is really the expert in that area. You do not and cannot be the expert in everything, but you can surround yourself with people who are experts in different domains and soak in anything you can from those people. And if you do that, you will consistently get better and better and better. That's a great point. And, and especially I think this whole idea of knowing people from outside your circle, because sometimes you get very siloed yes. and everybody hangs out with, you know, the doctors hang out with the doctors and the tech guys hang out with the tech guys. But then you look at somebody like say Steve Jobs, I think, where the value he he sort of added was that he needed more of the artsy sort of people and he brought the whole aesthetic and yes. the fonts, all that together. And I think where you can uh, yes. get these disparate people together, that that's hugely powerful. 
Absolutely. You So I always tell people on your mentoring team, you should have people who are from different industries and also different age groups, right? The younger people, they don't even know what the barriers are. So they're free in their thinking. They need some, sometimes the more senior people to constrain. So I, I think getting those really, those mixed groups together is really, it's pivotal. And Ruth, it's funny you should say that because four years ago, I was a complete uh, technophobe. I knew nothing about technology. <laughs> but, but essentially, um, I said to myself, look, I really have to get you know, more into technology. And I sort of started becoming friends with people who were into technology. And literally from a zero base, two years ago, I started designing an app. And I've been thinking, like, how did I get there from this, like, completely zero wow. base? It hasn't actually fully emerged as yet. But, but the interesting thing is from the app came the podcast. And then from the podcast came the YouTube channel. And then I'm doing some you know, writing. So it's funny how these things spin off that. into different areas. And I think if you can Absolutely. find a passion for something, then um, it, 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 there's always value in that to some extent. Absolutely. It's being open to new things. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. And, and I think that sort of nicely goes into the idea of having mentors, because obviously you're hugely into that and you've organized all the mentoring in these various different mm-hmm. organizations. So when you're looking at um, mentors, are there any sort of high level things that you could suggest to our, our listeners? So there's actually, there's multiple phases that you have to go through. So there has to be the people who know you well, and then it has to be the colleagues who know your work ethics. And then it's the people who with one or two degrees of introduction, you could probably get to those people. But before you get to building your mentoring team, you can't just put together these random people. You have to have a goal. And I'm not talking about your 10-year goal because we already discussed why that may not be worth anything. What is your next goal? So you should really write on the top of a paper, whatever your next goal is. And then the bottom, what is the plan, right? Because a goal without a plan is just a dream. So what do you need to do in order to achieve that goal? What are the steps that you need to take in order to achieve that goal? How will you know that you've achieved it? What are those milestones? Then you start thinking about who are the people who can actually help you put that together. And that is so critical. So I actually take people through, I've written a number of articles on developing your mentoring team and how people can go in and out, but there is actually a worksheet for anybody who wants to really get the, uh, an idea of how to put their mentoring team together. They can just go to ruthgotien.com slash mentoring team, and they get the entire worksheet with all the directions there. Yeah, that's great. But but no, but I do like that point. Um, I think you mentioned in one of your previous uh, interviews about chemistry. And I think it is very important to find people who you get on with, because as much as you'd like to be mentored by somebody, if the chemistry isn't there and some shared right. interest, it's just not going to be as efficient as if there is something there. Don't, don't exactly. Yep. And it's the chemistry and it's also the learning style. You need to know how you learn best. So I share the story of when I was getting my doctorate, I went through all the faculty in my department who were phenomenal, world-class leaders in what they were doing. But I felt this one was too busy. This one kept giving me articles to read. This one didn't quite understand what I was hoping to achieve, et cetera, et cetera. And it was the security guard who saw me and he said, oh, you know, why do you look so upset? I said, I don't know if I'm ever going to find the right person. And he asked me what I was interested in. He 
is the one who actually recommended I talk to this one person, Dr. Marie Volpe, who wound up being my doctoral advisor, mentor, and friend. And she is the one who quickly understood that I learned best by talking and asking questions and thinking about things overnight and then coming back the next day with questions that I want to ask. And, and she gives me some things to think about and we can talk it through. And every day on my commute to work, we would talk about whatever I was writing or researching. And that's the way I learned best. So you have to know it's that great chemistry, but also connected with the mentoring style and the learning style, which is so, 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 so critical that there has to be that match because when the mentoring doesn't work out, which is why I don't like assigned mentors, it could actually create more harm than good. If you get along with someone, remember, no one's going to be perfect. No one's perfect. Not you, not me, not anybody, but you can surround yourself with people who have expertise in certain things that you need to know and learn. And they are the ones who can actually help you succeed. And there was actually research that came out last summer that said the best mentors don't actually teach you skills. You could go watch some YouTube video, right? Or talk to someone to learn those skills. They teach you the tacit knowledge. They teach you how to network. They teach you all of those, what I call power skills. Those are the really good mentors. Those are the mentors who develop really successful people. Well, they almost sort of teach you the rules of the game and all those yes. hidden, that subtext, because yes. I think especially the higher you go, there's much more subtext going on. And, yes. and, and I think if you can almost have a degree in emotional intelligence or psychology, you'll be able to figure out what is this person actually saying um, yes. when he's talking to me? Um, yes. And yeah, I, I think it's so critical um, to be able to pick those up. And, yes. and, and it's interesting, I think the higher you go up, the fewer jobs there are. So you have to yes. be even more sort of careful about how you deal with people. And, you know, especially if you've got a good situation, not screwing that yes. up. So that's right. And it's all about networking, right? It's all about that exposure that we talked about in Pi. But, but, right? but yeah, no, no, totally. But, but I also think it's about, you know, as you're saying, it's building these relationships. I think with networking, it sometimes gets given a bad name. But I think if it's about, okay, let's build the relationship first. Yes. What we have in common. I mean, I love you know, uh, Robert Cialdini and he always talks about commonalities. You know, find out yes. what you you share. Um, maybe yes. you go to the same school, you like the same type of food, you like tennis, you know, whatever yes. it is. Um, and it's a good friend of mine and, and a, a fellow, a fellow friend from across the pond on your end, Andy Lopata actually writes about those professional relationships, right? He doesn't call them net, doesn't call it networking either. And it's about developing those professional relationships. And what's interesting is that Sally Helgeson and Marshall Goldsmith actually talked about how men and women do this differently. So women are very good at collecting people. We know a lot of people, but we don't ever leverage those relationships. We don't leverage those relationships the way men do. We collect people, which is very, very different, right? So part of that professional relationship, at the end of the day, people like to work with people who they know, like, and trust. You need to be able to give more than you receive. And there is always something that you can give. Even if you're amplifying somebody else's work, that's giving. That's giving. We can all do that. I don't care where you are in the hierarchy. The more you can start to do that, 
the more people will be open to helping you as well when you need it. So that's my, that's my key takeaway for those professional relationships. Give more than you receive. Oh, no, totally. And, and this, I, I think that's particularly important if you're a junior, because yes. there's a lot of stuff about, say, social media. And I think you, you mentioned one of your junior colleagues helped you to get on Twitter. But yes. Now, but now all these new social media platforms, if you can get somebody who's much closer to that than you are, um, then mm-hmm. they can just add so much value. And I think when yeah. you're trying to, if you're a junior trying to build that relationship, just think about what it is that is unique to me and what is my unique perspective and right. i actually like you know speaking to you know people you know a lot younger because purely they have that knowledge which i may not have um don't you think so that's right and they're not afraid to try either so yes every time there's a new a new up-and-coming app that i'm supposed to be a part of i i will usually i wait a few months or years and then i will join it but i will actually talk to people who are younger than me a couple of months ago, I joined Clubhouse and I felt like I was a freshman in high school or college again with no friends. Because I was like, what is this? How does this happen? I, I couldn't quite understand it. And I actually approached people who were on it for hours and hours every day, which I don't have hours and hours every day. Um, and I said, can you please explain this platform to me? What is the goal? What is the process? How, how are you collecting followers and coming on stage? And why would I want to come on stage? And how, how does all this happen? And they actually explained it all to me. And I thought it was really fascinating because I read things online, but it wasn't the same as people's personal stories. And I had to speak their language, right? I'm writing a book. I'm hoping people will buy the book and read the book. And I have to be able to speak the same language as other people. And I can't be, I can't not be on a platform where people are having these critical conversations about topics that are important to me. And I also found it as a great way to find new people who are talking about these things in the next, in in the same space. So while I publish a lot in, in academic and lay journals, not everyone does it that way, right? There are people who do it in other ways as well. And I really wanted to learn from, I've already learning from all the academic people. I wanted to learn from the non-academic people who had a lot of positive things to say and grow the field that I'm in as well. So I just found it as a great way to learn from other people. And if along the way I can offer some useful tips and tricks and strategies and, and hope, then I'm glad I, I'm glad that I can do that. No, no, totally. And I think that whole idea of marketing, it is so important because you can have a great piece of work, but if you don't get your message out there, then it doesn't doesn't work at all. Um, And I I suppose, Ruth, we've talked about sort of mentoring, which is obviously incredibly important for your career development. But is there any other advice you'd give uh, people who are sort of trying to advance in their career, in their current jobs? So yes, you definitely need to find mentors. You definitely need to connect with people within your office, department, organization, and outside of it as well, because you need to know what else is out there. You won't even know if you don't open yourself up. And the way you can open yourself up is you can join some volunteer organizations. There are free webinars on every topic under the sun, available for free 24 hours a day. It's available on LinkedIn, it's available on Facebook, it's available on Clubhouse, it's available on people's private websites, whatever it is, join things, even if it's not your area, and listen to what some of the things that they are saying. And then you can connect with the speakers, you can connect with other 
audience members, you say things such as, I really appreciated the comment you made about it resonated with me because, and then you connect with them on LinkedIn and, and other platforms. But it's a great way to hear about how things are being done in other fields, and you can connect with other great people. And I think that's that people have lost the understanding of how to do that during the pandemic. And they say, oh, I miss those conferences. I don't get to network. I said, no, no, no. When you go to conferences, you usually talk to the same five people you know. And you already know them. And you're lucky if you meet these two other people. I said, my LinkedIn following has doubled since the pandemic began. And I'm meeting all of these new and interesting people. So the opportunities are endless. You just have to be open to them. And I think going outside your sort of original circle is so powerful. Yes. Because I think the, the people within your sort of small circle have pretty much the same knowledge that you do. So you really, Absolutely. in terms of jobs or whatever. So if you can get those sort of second or third order uh, connections, Absolutely. that's incredibly powerful, um, I think. so. And just in Absolutely. terms of the pandemic, are there any sort of strategies for you know, dealing with unexpected events? One of the things that I've learned from the extreme high achievers is that they always control what they can control. They don't worry about the things that they cannot control. They don't waste any energy on that. The Olympics were postponed for a year. Nothing they can do about that. Absolutely nothing. But they can control what they do during that year. They can control their training. They can control their nutrition. They can control their sleep. They can control who trains them, who they train with, right? All of those things. So you really want to focus on controlling what you can control and take control of that. Um, so that that's one of the things. And time can fly by when your workspace and your home space is the same space. So having good timelines, chunking your time, having spaces for work in your house and spaces for um, non-work is critical. And this I actually learned from the astronauts who I interviewed early in the pandemic. I said, you eat and sleep and work and play all in the same tin can in the sky. How do you, <laughs> how do, you do this? And they said one of the things that was very important to them was that their private space, their bed, you don't do work there. And you don't do the personal stuff in the workspace. They're separate. And there's not a lot of room there. There really is not a lot of room. So by making sure that you carve out spaces for that, it helps compartmentalize things in your head um, and gives you that much needed downtime that you need. Yeah, that, that must be an incredibly claustrophobic because everything seems bigger on TV and those things don't look big anyway, the, yeah. the space shuttle or the you know, ISS. Yeah. So it must be pretty tough being up there. It's, it, well, they go through a lot of training for it, Yeah, I, physically and mentally fit for it. Yeah, I think you do have to have sort of the right you know, mindset or the right stuff or what, whatever it is yes, to be exactly. able to deal with it, those sort of tough situations. So Exactly, fantastic. exactly. <laughs> and um, Ruth, we're sort of coming up to the uh, end of our time. Obviously, really appreciate uh, everything that you, you've talked about. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to... Um, uh, mentioned to our listeners before uh, we go? Well, I am really excited about the new book that's coming out, The Success Factor, which is coming out in January, but available now for pre-sale. 
which talks about these four pillars of success that we've been talking about. But what I really love about it is that it shares the stories of some of the most successful people of our generation, including many names of people that all the listeners will know from Olympic athletes to some uh, senior government officials and some Nobel Prize winners and really great influential people. And it shares their stories to underscore these four elements to success. And then what I love is that there's a blueprint there. So anybody who wants to achieve more success, because I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning saying, I want to be average today. (laughs) I think people want to be successful. They just needed a plan. They had the potential, but needed a plan. So I have created this plan for them with different options, because I believe adults need options. And you can decide, okay, if I want to develop my informal learning, what are the different ways of doing this? If I want to develop my um, intrinsic motivation, what are the different ways I can do this? So there's actually plans that you can, you can pick up and practice and see which one works for you. But here's, here's the key thing. You must do all four elements of success together. You cannot pick and choose which ones you're going to do. So I am really excited about the success factor. It has been years and years of research and it's coming to light and I'm excited to share it with the world. I can see how excited you are just you know, by talking about it. But I, I like that point about success because I think if you are successful and you do stand out, you have far more control in your life, both in your personal life and in your work life. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I hate that situation where sometimes you're in an organization and you know, maybe you're doing okay, but not amazingly well. But it's, yeah, but if you are doing well, then basically people just bend over backwards for you. Yeah. And I think if you can always be in that situation where you're highly valued, um, and, and also maybe your manager knows, look, this um, uh, guy or girl, they, th- other people want them. Um, yes. And then it's so much easier having those conversations about compensation and bonuses. Yes, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Fantastic. And the final thing is, is there anybody you'd like to give a shout out to, Ruth? Um, Always. So I always have the mentors who always believed in me more than I believed in myself. And those are Dr. Bert Shapiro, who led all the MD-PhD programs at the NIH, and Dr. Marie Volpe, who was my doctoral advisor, who's 84 years young now and still advising doctoral students at Columbia University. Fantastic. And all of the people, I mean, there's an army of people who have supported, supported me and supported my work, which is, you know, you can't get there alone. You really can't. Fantastic. Well, Ruth, uh, thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure. The um, hour and 10 minutes have just flown by. So yeah, thank thank you so much for your time. And I wish you all the uh, success with your book. Thank you. And thanks for letting me geek out with you about success. No, no, that's that's absolutely. And and the final thing is all the um, information about Ruth, uh, details about her book, everything will be appearing on the show notes including all her social media handles. Uh, now that she's doubled her following, you may not be able to get in touch. <laughs> anyway, th- th- thanks so much, Ruth. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for listening and staying to the end. That was such an enjoyable interview. If you would like to listen to more episodes, then please consider subscribing to the podcast 
which is available on your favorite providers. And subscription is free. If you wish to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, please take a look at the show notes, which are available online. Thanks once again for listening. Stay safe and look after yourself. I hope you will join me again in the future.